Right, welcome back to the podcast, Steve Sully Study. What a special day this is. Thank you. I've got a man in front of me, high profile, wicked guest. But the reason why it's special is for two reasons. Number one, this is the first recording of 2023 for me. Hey. And what a guest that. to have. Thank so, you. Kid Wire. Yes, you got it right, you got it right. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for coming aboard. I'm looking forward to this podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. No worries. So, we got to, to meet. You came to our opening event on the 21st of December. Yeah. This podcast isn't about plugging the, the event or even the gallery. <laughs> But as we're on that subject, what did you think about the night? Did you enjoy yourself? What did you think about the artwork? So the night was a great night. And um, for me, I judge um, evenings like that in, in, in a couple of very simple stats. One is the crowd. Two is the ambience, the energy. Um, and three is um, the drinks, you know. And I felt like that night ticked all three boxes. A good friend of mine actually invited me um, to the event, um, working on a project together in Nigeria. But... I'm a person who, I love art. I used to paint back in school. Um, so when I first walked in and I saw all the art pieces there, I already knew I was kind of at home. So for me, the event was great. It was welcoming. Um, and yeah, you were doing your thing and I, I respect that. Good stuff. I gave you a little um, Sal's presentation pitch, as it were, yeah. about Richard Hamilton, the Godfather Street Art. With the limited information I gave you with watching the Shadow Man documentary, what's your thoughts, what's your feelings? So... Um, the guy was interesting. I mean, I like his story. And I, I like the fact, and this might sound weird, but I like the fact that he got heavily into drugs. And the reason why I say that, and I don't mean it from a, from a harmful point of view, I mean it from a point of view as it makes him really fucked up and interesting. And I feel like that's what people buy. Nobody wants someone who's boring and doesn't do shit, right? This guy was into drugs heavily, had an up and down kind of story. He was at the top with all the glitz and glamour, supermodels and whatever. Hit rock bottom doing drugs, was almost forgotten about, and came back up. Now that's a rags to rich, rise to glory story, which everyone fucks with. And I like that so much about him. The fact that he was a normal human being, a normal geezer, whatever you like. And the fact that he just stuck to what he really loved, which was painting. And the fact that he did realism paint, which I never even knew was a thing. But the fact that he just stuck to what he was passionate about. This is the guy that has a story. And for me, someone like me who's a storyteller, I can resonate really profoundly with people like him. So I love the story and it kept me on a bit of a cliffhanger because I didn't know if he died or not. And he actually told me, um, but he's someone I, I definitely feel like people will start to learn more about him and appreciate what yeah. he does, you know? And uh, do you know what? Something you just said there, which just resonated with me is people like to look at research and be around people who are authentic yeah. now not all the time we're going to agree with that person's authentic view yeah. but what we can do is respect it absolutely when he when someone said to him paint a shadow man and he said no i'm going to go and paint a landscape he was basically doing that to the art world mm -hmm. he said fuck off I, i'm going to do my thing mm -hmm. and doing drugs we know that's really bad and we would never advise anyone to don't do, do it. drugs yeah don't do drugs kids but <laughs> one thing we can um you know, resonate with or kind of applaud in some some respects is he just didn't care and he wanted to live the life that he wanted to live, not how other people told him to live. And yeah. that's, again, why so many people drawn to his market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, I'm going to jump into your story. Uh, listen, there's so much I want to ask you. Uh, one, because I'm actually truly, like, interested in you as a person. 
I mean, you're young. 90, Mar- March the 5th. <laughs> 1993, I mean, I can't believe you've achieved so much and done so much at a young age, but yeah. I'm going to ask you a bit of a, a weird question to start the podcast with. All right. So, the source is from Gist Flair on the 11th of the 3rd, 2022. So, this is, this, I'm just talking, I'm just saying what they said. This is their question. What's your biggest achievement? And this is your answer. Getting into health and fitness has been my biggest achievement. I used to be quite chubby, so I transformed my body, and I have been consistent ever since. And when I'm an outsider, looking at your profile, looking at your Instagram, if I were to guess your, your answer, I would be like the traveling, the experiences, the cars, the being a big brother, etc. But you actually said something so simplistic as training. Can I ask you, was you really that chubby? It was mentally. Mentally, I was never comfortable with my body. And this is what people need to understand. There's two types of fitness. There's, mental, there's mentally fit and there's physically fit. Now, be, be, I, I say this to anyone who I'm training. Before you get physically fit, you must be mentally fit. And I, for long periods of time, I was never comfortable mentally with my body. No matter what people said, oh, you look great, whatever. I was never happy with my body. And when, when you get stuck in that prison, when you're not happy with yourself, it's very hard to get out. And for me, that was a big achievement, getting out of that and actually getting some consistency and being happy with my body. Think about it, right? There's so many young women and children out there, right? And even adults that are not comfortable with their bodies. Like, they look fine, they look great, but they need that Botox, they need the butt lifts, they need this, they need that. Majority of humans are not happy with themselves in their situations because they're mentally trapped. They're mentally trapped. And people need to understand how powerful it is to be able to free yourself. You know, because a lot of people are trapped in their own prison, and I was as well. Once you, once you free yourself, once you liberate, liberate your mind, there's so many possibilities out there. You see the world in a completely different spectrum. So the day I liberated myself was when I did that interview, and I felt, you know what? I feel fucking free now. And no one's going to understand that feeling apart from the individual. But that was, that was just that was my truth. Now, if you ask me that same question, I've got another answer for you. That answer is you know, breaking out of my own matrix. And what I mean by that is that it was very difficult to break out of my father's comfort zone, our family wealth, our, you know, our, our lifestyles and all of what, what all that brings. You know, coming from, uh, from, from that type of background, you know, I had everything for me, you know, from the maids, the chefs, the cooks, the drivers, the planes, whatever it is. And I was so comfortable in that that I almost wasn't living my own life. You know, and one day I literally packed my shit and actually left the comfort of that confinement and started by myself. Essentially, I became broke, leaving all of that behind to pursue this new journey of me, of like, who am I? Because the truth is, I never knew who I was living under my dad's, you know, under my dad's commando and under his rule. I had to go and find who the fuck am I? Like, who is this new kid? And I felt like over the last couple of years, I found that. And my story is pretty new. My story actually starts from 2020 up until now. And everything I've achieved is from that really short um, time frame. You know, so... It's interesting stuff, yeah. bro. Um, and I've got to be honest, like, doing my bit of research I always try and do with my guests, I don't try and do too much because I don't want it to be too, to be too staged. I want it to be a free-flowing conversation. But you need to have some foundations to talk about. And I agree with you. A lot of it does stem from 2020. So let's just jump into that then. 
Big Brother, that big brand that everybody knows about, um, is a TV program series that people absolutely adore, resonate with, and it's been very, very popular. Yeah. And it's been franchised all around the world. Previously, it used to be called Big Brother Nigeria, and yeah. now it's called Big Brother Niger Niger, House. yeah, yeah, Big Brother okay. Niger. Okay. Niger. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2020, which ironically was the year of lockdown, mm -hmm. you were in series five, and you were entered into the Big Brother House over there, and I think it was aired on Africa Magic. Yes, yes. Okay. TSTV, multi-choice, Africa magic, yeah. So I, Actually, it was Africa, to be fair. It was Ed, and people need to understand this, right? The, first of all, it's the second biggest Big Brother in the world. Brazil is the first. Brazil has, has over a billion votes or, or people, like, interacting with it. Nigeria has 953 million. So it's the second biggest, and it was Africa that were watching it. Not just Nigeria. This, this was Big Brother Africa. It was called Big Brother Nigeria. It was in Nigeria. But it was like, it, it spoke for the continent. Question is, and this is trying to put myself in your shoes. By the way, if someone offered me to go to Big Brother today, I would do it. So I'm just clearing the record. <laughs> you would kill it as well. Yeah. You would kill it as well. <laughs> um, was the move, was the acceptance of trying to pursue Big Brother, was that more a business move or was it a move to kind of find yourself? I did it because I knew I could fucking do it. I went by a feeling. Like... First of all, how I even got there, um, and I love telling the story, was um, I just finished my national youth service, which is like a compulsory army service for Nigerians. Um, I didn't actually get the certificate because I skived a bunch, like I, I spunked it. But anyway, I just finished doing that. And this was like around um, summertime, I think April, March or May, one of those months. And um, we started hearing that COVID is spreading, borders are starting to close up, shit's just happening. So I was like, fuck this, man. I'm done with Nigeria. Like, I, I need to get back to UK because I, I grew up here, you know, and get back to UK and just do my thing. So I used all the little pennies I have to buy a place in my own place in UK, and I booked a flight, BA. So I booked my flight for the following week, right? And one day I was on Facebook. I was on Facebook. There's nothing going on in the world. Like, everything is closing down. People are just losing their shit. Nothing's happening. And I see a sponsored ad saying, Submit a two-minute video of why you think you should be in the Big Brother house. And funnily enough, I knew instantly um, I would get in because I knew people who knew who I was. or They knew my last name. They knew my family name. So I knew I would get in. But I, I still wanted to leave um, back to UK. But I just felt like, let me just, let me just send in my profile anyway to see what happens. So I did that. And then a, a day before my flight, BA sent me an email saying the flight's been cancelled. I'm like, cool, whatever, booked for the following week. As that flight was cancelled, I got through to the next stage, right? And to cut a long story short, that kept happening until I was actually in the house. And I never got that flight from BA. So it was almost like it was God's plan for me to go through this route. I went in there with like 2,000 followers. I came out with 800,000. And trust me, when I say my life changed, my life changed. My dad actually kicked me out of the house before I actually went into Big Brother because he didn't want... The exposure. He didn't want all, you know, all his political and government stuff being exposed. So he kicked me out of the house. But I went in there, came out a different human. I mean, I didn't know how to handle fame, right? I was relatively a quiet person, you know, loved to go to gym, health and fitness. Here I am coming out with everyone, the continent, knowing who I am. You know, um, I had no support system to, you know, I couldn't go to family and friends because they couldn't relate to what I've been through. So I had to deal with it all by myself, you know, and that led to 
some certain anxieties and other things which we can go into later. Um, yeah. It's funny because um, you might be familiar with a guy called Jack Fincham. Don't know if yeah, you um, Love Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. was a winner a few, few years yes, back. Yes, yes. A friend of mine, a really, really lovely fella, pursuing their boxing career now. Yeah. A lot of the people with good profiles end up pivoting that kind of way, and I think all credit to him. Yeah. But he was very open about it. Very similar to you, actually. Won it. He, he came out, as in the, the you know, Love Island, and he was standing in, in, in this building, and the guy went to him, the moment we open this door your life's going to change because outside is all these screaming fans and you're the winner and they all want to get to know you. And he yeah. said, it was literally opening the door and it was opening into a new world. He like stepped foot into this world and the anxiety, the, the excitement, yep. not knowing what to do, not knowing how to handle it, not like just, just didn't really get it. And unfortunately, like a lot of these people, I mean, Love Island is quite notorious, actually, for a lot of people who actually killed themselves off the back end of that show. Yeah, yeah, sad, man, sad. He fortunately didn't, but he did confirm on my podcast, he tried to commit suicide a few years ago, you know, by drinking too much and taking drugs. But the drug abuse, the drinking, etc., it caught up on him. Thankfully, now he's, he's on top of his game and he's, you know, healthy and well, etc. I mean... <laughs> Was your experience the same? Did you ever have them sort of thoughts or feelings or did you ever go down that path? Nah, mine, honestly, for the first eight weeks, I killed that shit. I was born for it. And I, I, I was straight up born for this. And I, I handled it with ease. But eight weeks in, and I'll tell you how, how I got into my first anxiety panic attack trip or whatever. I was lying on my bed speaking to my cousin. Like, this, I had a beautiful day. You know, deals come right, left, right, center. Everything was going perfect. One day I got up to try and go to use the toilet. And I felt, my legs felt like jelly. My mouth was drying up. Um, I felt dizzy. And I was thinking, okay, maybe it's just COVID or some shit. So I called my doctor. I explained all my um, symptoms. And they, they didn't really know what it was. So they came in, did my BP. My BP was 190 over like 130. So these are levels where it, it's mad. So I flew around the world. I went to Turkey, went to Dubai, went everywhere. They couldn't really tell me what it was. They just kept saying... Got really high BP, you gotta stop drinking, you gotta stop eating this kind of food and that kind of food. They even put me on fucking drugs at my young age, like all these, you know, BP drugs. So I took that for like two months. And I came to UK, I had one conversation with my doctor, and all she told me was, Listen, kids, you have you had an anxiety or you had a panic attack. It's okay, you can't die from it, it's just a panic attack. And that was the first time I understood what the hell it was. Because before I didn't know what it was. So I was just trying, I was dealing with all these weird chemistry reactions happened in my body, but I had no idea what it was. I just thought that, okay, I have to be on these drugs to be able to maintain my BP so I don't just die one day, you know? So, but I never, I never had bad thoughts. I never wanted to kill myself. I never struggled with, with being a celebrity. I only struggled with understanding what this anxiety was, why it came and how it came, you know? Um, and that was the only thing I went through during the last couple of years of, of, of fame, like I said, and I tell everyone this, fame is the biggest drug. It's the biggest drug. Forget ecstasy, forget heroin. Fame is the biggest drug. When you get fame and you don't know how to handle it, it could, it could, it could take you over and you will completely lose yourself. Think about being famous and being rich. Think about what it does. You have access to completely everything. Everybody wants to be your friend. All the girls want to sleep with you. Everybody wants to fuck with you. If you don't know how to handle those things, it's going to be like a, a, an explosion. You're going to self-destruct. So it, it literally is the biggest, the biggest drug and, you know, the, the, the biggest discipline to, to, to have. So before you walked into that Big Brother house, 
Do you prefer life before or after it? Hell no, I prefer life after. Straight out, I'm not going to lie. The life after is so much better because this is me. This is me. I created all of this. You know, my dad has nothing to do with this. You know, my life before, all my dad, respect to him, you know, um, and I appreciate that, you know, but, but everything after Big Brother, it's, it's all on me. This is me carving out my future, my path, me making choices and decisions. Um, so I will choose this life, you know, million times over. A bit of a personal question, but it's something that I feel that people would ask, want to ask. So Big Brother, Love Island, Towie, Made in Chelsea, they all kind of put in the same box, which is reality TV, right? So I do sometimes question, I mean, I've had a few reality TV stars on, and I do ask them, you know, certain scenarios, is that real or is that a bit more for the camera? And I do get mixed answers. So I'm going to ask you one of the questions. Was your love affair with Erica real? Fucking hell. Determine real, define real. Was there a feeling there? Um, okay, so <laughs> oh, fucking hell. All right, so what it was, right? It was like when I was in the house and you're spending all that time with one person, it was real in that moment because we, we spent every day together and, and she's a wonderful person. We used to cook together, we used to you know clean together and do tasks together. And she really was the biggest um, support system. But then it became it didn't become our relationship anymore. It became the fucking continent's relationship. Like we had people planning the name of the baby, planning weddings, planning every single thing. I, I, up to this day, and I love all my fans, by the way. I love you guys. So shout out to everyone who's supporting me. Up to this day, we have groups with our, mine and her name, you know, called Kidrika, who pray for us every single day and still kind of pray for us to, to come back together. So it, it, it became difficult because it wasn't just me and her anymore. It was like, We've got millions and millions of people who are watching every move who have something to say. And that just made it difficult. It made it difficult to actually form a relationship, especially coming out into the real world. We had so much battles we were fighting, you know. So it, it, it was never going to work because of that. But we're still very good friends to this day. Um, and I'm a big fan of her. She's killing it in the acting industry. And, you know, we're always going to be friends. Like, she, she, she was a big part of the new me. You know, and I really respect that. And I respect her. And the last question, just on this subject, and then I'm going to move on to basically all your the opportunities that have come off the back end of the Big Brother um, house, is um, there was comments online about you getting engaged. How true is that? That was completely false. So, a bit, <laughs> and it was to Laura. But anyway, so so I went out for dinner. With a good friend of mine, um, Pastor Toby. Shout out PT and Daddy Freeze, who's like a um, a blogger slash sort of media guy. Um, he was there with his with his wife. I came with with Laura, and um, I said to him, "Look, Daddy, let me show you what real love looks like." And hmm. I, I kind of fed her Laura and, and then kissed her, and then he filmed it, and and then he um, captioned on Instagram, "Kid Wire showing us what real love looks like with his fiance." That I mean, I think literally an hour later, it blew up everywhere. I mean, even on national political tabloids where you think, like, what the fuck? Like, why are you posting about my relationship? Like, it blew up everywhere. And I let it slide for like, I think it was like a week or so. I said nothing for a week. But then, I, you know, my family started calling me. Like, yo, are you engaged? Like, why didn't you tell us? It got to the point where I was like, I had to just... That shut it down because people close to me kept asking me. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't true, but it was fun while it lasted. 
Well, listen, it's good, good bit of PR <laughs> and marketing, eh? Um, so talk to me about, you know, coming out of the Big Brother house. And I know you said your life changed. The yeah. followers went from, you know, relatively small amount to like massive amount. Yeah. And by the way, now you've got 1.5 million fol- followers just on Instagram alone. And you're verified, which I want to talk to you about that in, yeah. in a second. Um, how did you distinguish good opportunities from bad opportunities when you come out there? Because let's be real. As you said in your own words, everyone wants to fuck with you, but there's going to be snakes, there's going to be sharks. How do you tell which ones are the good opportunities and which ones are bad? I mean, I've been, I've been dealing with, with, with that all my life because, again, before Big Brother, I mean, we were still at the top. You know, our family, our names, our connections, we were still there anyway. So everyone around us wanted to be part of that. So I, for me, I always go based on feelings and I always go based on a mutual beneficial thing. And I would, if someone came to me and said, look, kid, you know, I've, I've been around Steven. Steven's going to want to use you. Don't be careful. Him. Don't trust him. I will completely ignore that. And whatever relationship me and you have is what will determine us going forward. Now, and this is very important for all men out there. I, I never judge anyone if I haven't had the pleasure of reaching that person. So first, we will need to meet and whatever you're offering, if, if, you can, if you can benefit me and I can benefit you, then we fucking shake hands. I see nothing wrong with that. Mm. That's how I dealt with things going into this industry is everything should be mutually beneficial, you know, um, because that's the belly of the beast we're in. You know, so as, uh, the, the, the minute that benefit becomes impartial, or it's not there anymore, then I realize, that, okay, if I'm doing way more than what you're doing for me, then I realize what kind of relationship it is. Then I start to sort of look and question things here and there. You know, then I've got a, you know, it's like a, a sand glass. At some point, it's just going to stop. You know what I mean? But I will go into anything with the same amount of love and respect that I do with anybody. And it will be based on how we firstly initial um, interact with each other. So that's how I dealt with things um, going into the industry. Okay. So you're following just on Instagram alone. I always say to people, it's um, a massive responsibility because that... The word influencer is thrown around a lot and it's used by the media to put someone into a bracket. But if you really think about it, you're influencing at least, and maybe more, 1.5 million people for what you do, what you say, how you say it, how you react, how you respond, etc. I know you're the type of person that can handle it, but do you ever think sometimes, Jesus, I do really have a lot of fans, followers, and a lot of support, and it is a massive deal sometimes. Um, so it's actually crazy because like, this is why you gotta be careful what you tweet, you know, because sometimes you feel like you're just saying what's in your mind and you feel like no one's really listening or or watching, but you can tweet something and literally three seconds later, you think, fuck, that's that. Let me delete that. But that tweet has gone so far. It's been screenshotted. It's been posted everywhere. That is the power we have. Like I can, I can post something and it, 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 it can be on all the blogs all the news channels everywhere in Nigeria and possibly Africa. Like that's how powerful my audience is and how powerful my fingers are. So obviously with great power comes great responsibility as everyone knows. So I do know that I'm very influential and I I do have this massive power and responsibility and it does actually make you think twice before you do things, especially when it comes to relationships and trying to, you know, because especially with relationships, the reason why I'm quite private with it is because the other person might not want that type of exposure. Because there are a lot of horrible people out there that will say things to you and, and you send death threats and that kind of stuff. So people are not cut out for that. So we do try and keep a lot of things private because 
you know, you have your own life to live as well. But people in, in our position, like, you have to be, you have to have your head screwed on to deal with all of this. Otherwise, like I said before, you can just self-destruct. Yeah. You mentioned about comments, and I always like to ask people with big following. Um, there's obviously the great ones, like people get inspired by you, people that adore what you do, you know, um, relish, you know, you know, the, the opportunity of seeing you perform or achieve something, and they want to mimic it. But there is the downside of social media, which is the abuse. Yeah, uh, I had Aaron uh, Chalmers on, who is from Geordie Shore. He's yeah. now I watched that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that. and um, you know he's newborn baby was born yeah kissed the baby and then he had all this insult from people saying shouldn't be kissing your newborn baby blah blah, blah and just really going in, in in on him again i know you're an alpha type male so i know you're you know what was off a duck, duck's back you know people can shoot bullets off at you and they'll bounce off you i understand that but there's only so much you know weathering we can all take as human beings what is the worst comment that you've had on social media directed at you um so when my grandmother died, right, um, and there was something going on on, on, on on Twitter, I think fans were arguing on Twitter or something, um, and then someone said, um, oh, that's the reason why your grandmother died. And I just felt at that moment, I felt like I get the, 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 the fan beef you have with other fans, and maybe because this one's your favorite and you like this person, so you're not going to like this person. I, I get that, but like... When, when, when something like that happens, when you lose somebody that you, that's really close to you and someone says, oh, that's the reason why she died, because of a fucking TV show. That, I, I, I couldn't understand that. I was like, is it really that deep? Like, forget, forget who you love. As more of a human, like, what, what, what allows you, in your heart, in your soul, what allows you to really say that they might not mean it but what just allows you to say that when someone's just lost someone that was very close to him so that was the first time ever that i've actually been genuinely hurt other than that you know it is what it is but that's you know that's the first time that i was i genuinely felt pain mm. you know and um if i were to be in your shoes right had the cool glasses on wicked top the swagger the confidence and i'm bowling through you know the airport uh, lagos or somewhere in nigeria what am I going to experience? I mean, first of all, I, I have to come in with my security team when I'm going through um, anywhere in Lagos because it, it, is, it is crazy. Like, these guys are so passionate. You know, when, when they fuck with you and they love you, like, they, they, it's hard. It's not like in UK. UK is a bit different. Like, UK, you can have celebrities and people walking around and you won't really have thousands of people around them. Nigeria, especially Africa, is like that. Like, they will be all over you and stuff. So it is very hectic. Um, going back home, it's like an operation trying to like figure out which way to go and how can kid get in and get out. Um, but I love it, man. I, I love the, the love they show. I love, it's generally warmth. It's generally like love that these guys show us, you know. Um, but for me, it's not somewhere I can live at right now because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm in this journey trying to find myself and I'm also humbling myself as well. And I feel like the best place to live is in a place where, A, no one really knows you that well, and B, no one really cares. Because then it makes me work harder and harder and harder and build myself up and not be, not be this person on a pedestal because everyone loves him in Nigeria and everyone wants to be with him and everything's glitz and glamour. That's very easy. It's an easy life, extremely easy. I actually left 
came back. I haven't been back to Nigeria in one year, by the way. I haven't been back in one year. I came here to hustle, to work hard and build myself up. You know, I like, that's the kind of life I like. Um, but yeah, man, Nigeria is, is, is wonderful. Yeah. But it's crazy as well. Is it? It's crazy. So crazy. you're talking about thousands and thousands. Like, it's a bit like the, the way I would probably describe it. I don't know. Ronaldo going back home to Portugal. Like, nah, no, Ronaldo's different. <laughs> Ronaldo's different. I can't, I'm not going to be arrogant and say I'm like Ronaldo. He's different, but it is. It, look, if it would be hard for me to walk in and out of the airport because then before someone, people recognize when I wear a face mask with my hoodie and glasses, you have somebody to come up to you like, yeah. So you thought we didn't recognize you. Or somebody, right, they'll just shout my name. And the idiot in me turns around. And that's how they test. Like, I've had it so many times. Somebody be like, Kidwire. And I just turn around like, fuck. Why did I turn around? <laughs> and that's how they know. But and these, then they go. These guys know. They, listen, they know your voice. They know the wrinkle line from here. Even Damn. when you cover up, they know everything. The way you walk. I swear to God, they know the way I fucking walk. Trust me, there's no way, there's no way you can hide, man. Just like, you know, come in, come out, show your love, take pictures and... And just thank God, you know, you're in that position to really make people happy, which is the most important thing, right? So um, I've also got here that you actually, and you got a degree from uh, Nottingham Trent. Um, you got a, a master's in business, in business science, a, yep. a degree there, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 2-1 high com um, accommodation. So I know you kind of described it already. You wanted to have your own identity and not be under, let, let's say, the identity of your father. But why come all the way to Nottingham to get a degree, a master's degree in, in, in business science? So I got the degree in 2017. So that was pretty much before, before the new me. Um, and look, I, I grew up in UK, left Nigeria when I was six years old. So I went through the whole educational system. Um, and for me, the, around my time of when all my peers were similar age. The, the most important thing was like getting a you know, going to university, getting a degree, especially for African parents. Like that is, that is so important for African parents. Get a degree, get a master's, you know, come to your army service and go through some sort of like diplomatic, you know, doctor or whatever. So it was quite important for them. And for me, it was still about finding myself because breaking out from boarding school and going into university, two, you know, two very different things. University is like, there's no one telling you when to get up, when to go to bed or what to do. You're literally your own person. So I did a lot of self-discovery um, during university. Um, and I loved that so much that I came back to do a master's. Um, and that's kind of the right reason why I did a master's. And because I'm fucking smart. I'm smart as well. And I had to use this big brain to some sort of use. So I said, you know what, go and get a master's. And then after that, see what happens. You know what, I, 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 I consider myself um confident um i think you have to be when you're in business yeah. um i box you know i've had 16 boxing fights so you oh, really i love yeah, that. yeah 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 my last fight was last year nice, nice. Uh, i'm planning to do a few more before i'm a bit too before i'm 44 whatever you called me earlier you got many years <laughs> oh no sorry stay. stop stop no, um, no. <laughs> you know and my background is in sales so most of the time 99 percent of the time you're getting told no and it's yeah. a special type of person that builds that resilience to work out that no isn't no forever it's no right now but it could turn into a yes later on but i do admire other people got this other type of confidence and yours is quite infectious where where did your confidence come from um so my my confidence i'm, I'm going to give my dad a little props here so i don't sound too arrogant but my dad is is he's about five five you know he's, he's a very very short man 
um, but is so flamboyant and he's so confident in the way he walks and talks and how he does his thing. And I, that's someone I've always admired growing up. You know, I've always been a very good watcher. I can watch people and learn things from them. So I've watched him most of my life and stuff. And I, I guess I've picked up some things from him. But I also think it's, it's, it's also nurture as well. It's, it's the people I've been around. It's the situations I've put myself in. I'm a firm believer in pushing yourself and testing yourself. And I'll give you an example. There's actually one time where I actually got myself into a fight with three people to see if I could survive. This was in uni. I started it, okay? And I'll show you how I started it. What is it when, when there's someone standing in, in, in a walkway and you, when you walk in between them, why do people get so offended with mm. that? But that's what happened. So there's three guys on, on, on a path, like taking up the whole path. So I walked right in between them knowing it would cause a reaction. And of course it did. So what I learned that day is the fact that I can, I can handle my own, which is so important. You need to know if you can handle your own because a lot of the time we're so comfortable in whatever safety net we're in. We never push the human body, especially our mind. You know, you think you're strong, you think you're this, but you've never really tested yourself. And that day I kind of tested myself to see if I can get myself out of the situation, whether it's fighting off, fighting them off or being able to, to get away. And I succeeded in that. Um, so I, I throw myself in the deep end all the time. Like, you know, I haven't done a podcast before, but I'll come here and I'll, I'll answer all the questions and I'll, just, I'll fucking do it. You know, I haven't done many things before, but I'll go and do it to see if I can do it. That's the only way you can really test yourself. And over the years, I realized that, you know what? You've done everything, everything that you've actually thrown at yourself. You've done it and you've come out completely fine. And that's just given me the confidence to just like, yo, bring it. Like there's nothing that can, that can affect me, you know? And, and you've got to have that kind of mindset in whatever you do. If you don't have that mindset, man, then just, you know, keep on admiring from afar. Mm. I know it's cliche, but there's no such thing as failure. And as you pursue something new, you learn a, a lot about the thing you're pursuing, but a lot about yourself. Yeah. Uh, fighting is a great example. I always use, when I, say, when I sort of, you know, used to run dedicated sales team, raising money for different investments, etc. When I used to do the, the talks to 50 sales guys, predominantly, yeah. alpha type mind, you know, really kind of like boisterous yeah. <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. So if you want to get motivation, if you want to learn the mindset pick up books or watch documentaries or listen to podcasts of athletes and especially fighters. Yes. Because they will tell you everything you need to know about yourself. When you're in a sales environment, it literally is yes or no. Yep. It's in, in boxing, you either beat someone up or you get beaten up. Yep. There's no in between. There's, There's no in between, no, and exactly. There's, There's no one else yeah. to look after you. Unlike yeah. football, not knocking football because it's yeah. a great sport. But it's... If you don't put the work in outside the ring, you will get found out inside yeah. the ring. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same thing with business. It's the same thing with sales. And it's the same thing with life. Mm -hmm. If you're not putting that mindset, the emotional control, the physical attributes, it, you'll get found out eventually. Exactly. 100%. So that's what I resonate with, with what you're saying. 100%. I'm going to pivot. Look, I feel like I can't have a podcast with you without talking slightly about your dad. Right? Mm -hmm. Why is he called Mr. Versace? Um... He was actually friends with Gianni back in the days before he died. Uh, my dad was the first person um, to get the Versace home in, in the, uh, 2000. In 2000, he was one of the first people to actually kit his house out in London with fully Versace. Um, he's friends with Donatella as well. So he, he's always had that family relationship with them. But they call him Mr. Versace because everything, not only in the house, but what he wears is Versace. I mean, 
our house in Nigeria is crazy, man. I mean, we, you know, the Versace swimming pool, Versace towels, wall, um, walls, ceilings, clothing, bed sheets, cups, plates, everything. Do I have a picture? I don't have a picture on this phone. It might be on the internet, but it's just, it's just like when you walk in there, it's like a golden palace with Medusa head signs and colors and stuff. So that's kind of why he's Mr. Versace. Um, but his explanation of, of why he wears colorful clothing was because he said that he's, he was always very short and he wanted to be noticed. So that's why he wore flamboyant clothing. Um, yeah. Well, that's, listen, that's logical and I, and I get yeah. that logic. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask further about like his business, the money, etc. But I want to ask you a bit of an unusual question. I found it, well, I was just doing research and this is what I'm about to ask. Did he discover Banana Island? Yes. What is Banana Island? Banana Island is the most expensive and luxurious piece of land in Africa. Um, it's, it's, it, it's quite small. It's in Lagos, Nigeria, on the island. And how it happened. Um, and by the way, I, I, I never knew he discovered it until he, until he made that statement on, on BBC. And my dad's very like that. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, he doesn't blow his own trumpet. He, he when, it's until you ask him, he will tell you. And I've got another fucking fascinating story that I've just found out, which he hasn't told anybody but told me. And I'll, I'll tell you that privately or on, on air if you want. Oh, cool. But, um, I've got an area on air. Okay, so I yeah. didn't know that my dad was a reason why, one of the reasons why Nigeria had a democracy. Right. So he was very close with um, the army back in the days. And we had a military rule, right? And just when one of his friends got into power, when Sani Abacha died, he was the military general president at the time. When he died, my dad's close friend was second in command. And in the, in, in the army formation, it, it's done by rankings. So his friend became president. So he came to the house. Obviously, I wasn't born by now but he came to, to my dad's house and said look terry i'm you know i'm president now don't really know what to do um what should we do and he said give it to a democracy like you know make it a democracy so that people vote and i didn't i when he told me that i was like yo like dad you, you should tell people this this is like you're one of the reasons why nigeria has a democracy that's crazy so he's like that kind of person man he just does stuff but back to the um, banana island story so he told me um, one day he went to um, his friend's office, one of his business partners called Chagori, who um, is a very interesting man also. And he saw this piece of photo or whatever on the wall. So my dad asked the, um, the guy in the ministry who looked at the landing at the time, he asked him, what is that on the wall? And the guy goes, oh, no, it's nothing. It's, just, it's, it's, it's the useless piece of area. And he goes, no, he wants it. You know what I mean? So my dad took it with his partners, they discovered it, they built on it, and they made it into what it is um, today. So yeah, it's a very fascinating story. So your dad is a billionaire. Um, you, know, you know, he's, well, he's definitely a, a very, very wealthy guy. There's obviously all the obvious trappings and this, you know, the uh, accoutrements, I think the, the word is, of being a very successful multimillionaire or a billionaire. But can I ask, is there a downside of having a dad who's a billionaire? I mean, the, the downsides, um, and you know what, it's quite sensitive because especially, you know, in the world we live in where, where there's a lot of suffering and hunger. So when I answer this question, I have to be very careful how I answer it. Because mm. a lot of people turn around and say, well, oh, boo you, you know, you're living in your dad's shadows where we can't eat our food and we're in a recession. But... 
the downside is there's not many downsides, you know, in terms of being looked after and stuff. But the downside is like you're always going to be living in 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 that person's shadow, and it's very hard to break out of your own matrix. And that's why I said before, one of my best achievement was breaking out of that matrix, that comfort zone that I've always been in. To leave that, because when you think about it, like, okay, your dad, you know, your dad's super wealthy, you have everything. How the fuck do you leave that to come buy a little apartment in London and and and, and build your way up? Do you know what I mean? So that that was one of my difficult times was, was leaving that, you know. Um, but look, there's not many downfalls, but all the all the downfalls are personal. You know, not a lot of people understand them, but they're, they're personal to me. Like, you know, trying to break out of that shadow, trying to find who I am, trying to see if I can survive by myself. Because for most time, most of my life, I wasn't able to survive by myself because he provided everything. You know, so it really was a test to myself. Okay, great, you're, you're of age now. Can you do this shit by yourself? So the more of personal personal issues I had, you know, um, but on a, on a more larger scale, there wasn't many issues because of course, you know, health wise, food wise, clothing wise, comfort wise, everything was provided by the great man. Hmm. So you're a CEO, you have export companies, yep. you have food companies, there's a bunch of different things you're involved with. What is your dad, the characteristics, the business traits, what is he kind of taught you organically over this time to be the CEO you are today? Man, my dad, so one thing he's taught me is that he will always do something for somebody without taking anything in return. And I, I learned that the hard way starting off. Like those, even for companies now, um, with, with, with my business, I work for, for big, big companies. Um, I will do a lot of things for free when we first have, a, uh, when we first have an, uh, an engagement. I will do a lot of things for free. Um, because that is something that he's, I've seen him do so many things for free without saying anything. And then now it's kind of like he can live off that goodwill. Do not underestimate the power of goodwill or the power of being kind to a human being. Don't, don't underestimate that. That is the new currency. It really is a new currency. Mm. Like not everything is transactional where it has to be an exchange of something. Like just because you give me a tomato doesn't mean I have to give you an apple, Right. Sometimes me giving you a tomato so you can go and make your sandwich or whatever, that goes such a long way because you don't forget that. And you may become a billionaire in the next three years or whatever it is. You may become the CEO of, of, of huge companies or, you know, my, my, my son might, one day I might be seriously broke and I might go for a job interview of the company that you own. And you remember that tomato I gave you, right? It's almost like an investment. So what he's taught me is that always be kind to people and just do it for them. Don't charge anything. If they want to pay you, fine. To within reason, of course, depending on what kind of business you run, within reason. But that's one thing he's taught me, is just do things of the goodness of your heart. And if you can get it done without too much stress, if it's a phone call, then do it. You know, so that's something I've learned. And to be fair, it's really worked, worked out well for me. I've built a lot of great relationships by just using that um, analogy. And yeah, thanks, Dad. <laughs> so do you, do you aspire to become your own self-made billionaire yourself one day? To be honest with you, I might even think about billionaire. I'll be honest with you. I think um, in a world where it's, it's so crazy and everything is trying to kill you, I'm just taking it one day at a time. Um, as long as I'm able to put, you know, food on my table and, and feed the people around me and, and, and be happy, really be happy. You know, I know it sounds very cliche and very whatever, but like, as long as I'm actually happy, um, 
then I'm good. You know, I, I, I don't think you should ever think I want to become a billionaire. I don't think all the billionaires said they want to become billionaires or even millionaires. I think it just, you got into something you loved in some sort of passion. You, you excelled at it and it's a byproduct. The financial, um, the financial gain is a byproduct from, from what we did. So I'm not thinking about being a billionaire. I'm thinking about just, just smashing everything I do today because tomorrow's not guaranteed. Yesterday's gone. So it's today is what I'm focusing on. This is really going to be the last one or two questions I'm going to ask you. Um, so I know I would love to do a part two with you probably in a year or two's time because I know where you are today, you're probably going to be in a wildly different place, but actually a lot, lot better. Not talking about finances, probably that, but loads of other experiences and things that you've done. And I too feel I'm going to be in a better place as well. What is the what is the kind of the, the end goal or what are the goals over the next 5, 10, 15 years? What do you really want to achieve and what kind of marks do you want to live on this planet? The kind of mark I want to live is when someone says, do you remember Kid? Yeah, yeah, that kid, man, that guy, you know. Let me tell you a story about kids. So one time I was, I was by the bus stop, right, and, you know, this guy came out in his new car and, you know, Kid just stopped over and picked me up and took me somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in a restaurant one time and kid just paid for our bill. Yeah, he did the same thing in the hospital, paid for our medical. I want people to have those kind of stories about me where I've left an imprint, an impression, a positive impact on their lives. No one's going to remember how many Gucci belts you had or how many Rolls Royces you had or fucking what private jets you've been on. When you're on your deathbed, no one's going to remember that. Even you yourself, you're not going to think of those, think of those things or watches, you're not. What you're going to think about is how many people's lives have you, have you impacted in a positive way? How much stories can be spoken about you? you know, and that's why we speak about all the great people of our time, of our generations up until now. So, of, of course, I want to be remembered in that aspect. I mean, that would be beautiful, you know? Yeah. You probably heard on my podcast, see how, this is how I end it, right? So I came up with a mantra, a kind of an incantation affirmation type vibe thing that I have in my gym in, in at home, even on the doormat as I walk in, I read it. It's just, I try and condition my mind with it every single day. And this is what it says. Be happy, never content. Now I've got my own interpretation of that. If I were to ask kid, why are, what does be happy, never content mean to you? It means never settle for anything less than what you're worth. So, yeah, be happy, of course, be grateful because it can always be worse. But never be content, never be comfortable where you're at because you can be achieving a lot more. To me, that's what I, I feel like it means. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for your time, mate. Pleasure. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I'll be hononed to do it again at some point. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll be honoured to come out to you over to Nigeria and see how you're rolling over there. Yes, oh, you, for real? I'd love to. All right, cool. I'll get okay. the film team. We'll come over. And uh, we'll, uh, all right, we're going to yeah. get it done. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. Lovely. We'll okay. Done. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share it. Be happy, never content. And thank you for your time. Man, it's my pleasure. God thank bless. You so much. Cool.